Welcome to Stupsin. Stupsin is a series of Dharma talks by Anthony Osler, Dai Chong Osho, the guiding teacher at Poplar Grove Zendo in South Africa, and a former Zen monk. The talks draw from traditional Zen teachings and koans to make them relevant wherever we live and whatever life we lead. If you feel inspired by these teachings and would like to make an offering to support Stupsin, you can go to our website, stupsin.co.za, to find out how. Uh, about a month ago, I mentioned that I was listening to the Afrikaans radio in the middle of the night and uh, people were phoning in and saying how difficult life was here or anywhere. And uh, a lady phoned from Postmusburg to said, this place is like a wild horse and we've just got to ride it. It was such a great... Uh, lively input on the radio that I wanted to follow it up a bit. In a way, just to, to, to associate myself with uh, what she said, that this life often feels like a wild horse And sometimes we manage to get on the horse and ride with it, feel like the wind. Sometimes we fall off. Sometimes we can't get it to move. Sometimes we just trudge along up the felt, across the mountains just putting one foot in front of the other as we feed children, go off to work, drive in the traffic. Whatever our life is, there's a sense under it that uh, as much as we try our best, there's something... Uh, deeply wild and unpredictable and dangerous that is uh, that is us and as I say sometimes we, 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 we don't have a sense of that we're just so busy managing our life that uh, we, we don't have a sense of of the expanse of horseship. And there's something about the nature of the ego, the, the, what shall I call it today, the common sense self. There's something in the nature of the common sense self that clings so easily and quickly and anxiously. And when we cling to 
whatever is happening in our life, we kind of uh, throw a blanket over it, as it were. It's just us and them, us and it, me and my problems, me and my difficulties, me and my anxieties, my fears, me and my desperate hopes and longings. That when the attachment self uh, is what runs our life, we narrow down our focus always um, and it becomes quite intense, especially if we have time to think. And that means that somehow uh, that is my life and that's all I can see of my life. And underneath that there's a sense of it not quite being what I'd hoped, an instinct, an instinct that our life is more than that, but I just can't get it. I just can't find it. So I live in this uh, horse. I make it as safe as I can. And as I do that, my life seems to narrow and contract. And it's all about me. How I think this should be, how I think that should be, what I think of my own life, what I think of other people, what I think of government, world, ecology, neighbors, work, traffic, drivers, whatever it is. And everything is somehow referring back to me. And of course, the more I think about it, the more I generate emotions to go with it. So there's a heightened uh, intensity. And my body, of course, reflects this. Uh, I find myself tense in certain ways. We each have our own kind of default modes of getting, getting more tight in our bodies, which reflects the tightness in mind and emotion. And we think that's the whole of our life. And then something else happens. And then we suddenly find that in the most surprising way, something releases. That something in my life opens out. And I see to my amazement that there is uh, kindness around me and, and beauty 
and suffering and pain. And there's an instinctive sense that this too is my life. And in a sense, that's what our Zen practice or any spiritual practice is. That however much we tighten and contract and wind this universe into, uh, into me, there's also something broader and, and open. And when we see that, we, we get a sense then that, that it's all right to fall off the horse sometimes. It's all right when it gallops away and we can't catch it. And it's all right to feel bad about falling off a horse. That, that we, we are finding a space where there's no judgment at all because there's simply no perspective from which to judge. I've got some little anecdotes that I just want to share because they, I love them. One is I have a friend who who, who who can't walk without sticks, without uh, crutches. Uh, since he's been a child, he, he's been like that. And he comes to the to the farm, and we sit together. And he comes out, and he falls. And he's absolutely furious. And he says, this is what I've done my whole life. I just fall down. And I said, and now you're going to get up? And he got up. And we laughed and sat in the sun on the bench about his life as the falling down man and getting up man. Um, a family member of mine wrote about how difficult life sometimes feels in the city and with COVID and... Uh, violence and all sorts of South African-ish things, that people have a, are very much on edge and, and anxious. And now she went to the chemist one day and stood in line, and there was a man at the front and something hadn't gone right with his order, and he just started complaining at the top of his voice and just expressing his discontent and, and uh, losing his temper. And, and what she said was, 
everybody understood. Everybody knew how he felt and that it could have been them. And this kindness spread through the shop, down the aisles, up the shelves. And when everyone got to the front of the line, they were a bit more gentle with the person who was helping them. So sometimes these moments of opening, of satori, if you like, use a technical term, of opening, of suddenly living in the breadth of our life, sometimes they're very small, ordinary things. They're always surprising. They always elicit gratitude and, and uh, a kind of a, an intimacy that we'd forgotten about, but which we recognize deeply. And sometimes they, they are dramatic, as you know, from reading endless in stories about people getting enlightened, having uh, great experiences of opening. I was once uh, in, in Kimberley doing some, some uh, labor, legal work, and trying to solve a dispute between a farmer and uh, his laborer. And the laborer was represented by quite a forceful black union official and the farmer was represented by quite a forceful white employer's organ employer's organization official and each side was pressing each other's buttons the union was being outrageously demanding the farmer's representative was being outrageously dismissive and nobody was meeting. Uh, at some point, the union went out to consult and have a look at what should happen next and so on. And the white uh, employer's representative came up to me in that way that uh, uh, white men assume that other white men, because they are white and middle-aged, um, know the real situation. And he said uh, in Afrikaans, in his most winking kind of voice, uh, yeah, we know what these people are like, you know, they can't get anything together. This is all a waste of time. And, and I just turned to him and I said, you know, uh, this work is important for me. And I can only do it 
if I genuinely respect fully each person here. That's the only way I know how to do this work. And for what it's worth, it's the only way I know how to live in this country. And he, I don't remember him going out, but he left. And then the union came back. There was no sign of the employer's representative. We waited. I went looking. I couldn't find him. Eventually, I sent the interpreter to look for the farmer's representative. And eventually, he came back and said he couldn't see him but there is a white man crying in the parking lot. There's a white man crying in the parking lot. They eventually settled the case that that Incident changed everybody. The union dropped their demands. The farmer gave more than he was uh, expecting to. And at the end of the day, I saw them all standing together, having a cigarette and laughing about some joke that one of them had made. You just never know. You just never know. Of course, there are stories like that that don't end up that well. And that's, that's our life too. That's just um, what it is. So the same in our practice. We, we come to our practice... And we think we're going to have a wonderful zazen, wonderful meditation, and we are bored to desperation, or we're uncomfortable, or our mind is just racing around like a mad dog. I don't want to malign mad dogs, but that's how it feels. And we just keep at it in the same way that we go to work and feed the children. We just keep turning up. And that quality itself, when I go beyond what I feel like, then something else becomes possible. Last month I spoke a bit about the Vimala Kirti Sutra, one of the famous uh, early Mahayana sutras uh, about the great lay, lay person, uh, Vimala Kirti, who, who was ill and 
you may remember that the early disciples, they called them the rule followers, let's call them the, the self-improvers and the rule followers. Uh, they, they didn't want to go and wish him well because he would show them up in his wisdom and they would just be embarrassed. But they eventually tagged on behind Manjusri and some sort of bodhisattvic heroes. And Manjusri asks, uh, Manjusri, who's the bodhisattva wisdom in the, in the tradition, uh, asks Vimalakirti what the nature is of his illness. And, and Vimalakirti says, I am sick because the world is sick. I am suffering because the world is suffering. Just like a parent cannot rest when their child is unwell or sad, so too I have taken to my sick bed. And that's the sort of dramatization, if you like, of of, of the, the Mahayana path, of which Zen is one. And there's an interesting moment in that story where uh, uh, one of the early disciples, his name was Kashyapa, a famous ascetic and uh, one of the Buddha's closest uh, senior students, senior monks. Uh, but part of the in this in the story, part of the kind of uh, attachment, disciple, self-improving gang. And what's interesting is that in later Zen tradition, Kashyapa becomes the first transmission of enlightenment in the Zen tradition. It is he who, uh, when the Buddha gives his first sermon, this is in, in the Zen tradition, uh, when the Buddha gives his first sermon on Vulture Peak and instead of talking he holds up a flower. It's Kashyapa right at the back of the audience who sees this and just breaks out into a great smile. And in some ways, our practice is about that smile, about seeing the flower, of seeing that it is enough just as it is. And, and smiling. If we go back to the Vimalakirti Sutra, at that stage, Kasyapa, who's, who's uh, one of the Buddha's old gang, and he hears this talk of Vimalakirti about the nature of his illness. And he says something like this. Anybody hearing the Dharma, hearing this kind of teaching, all they can do is utter a cry of regret 
so deep that it smashes this billion world galactic universe. A cry of regret so deep that it smashes everything. And it's right there that our practice opens out in ways that we can't name, in ways we can't understand, but which come from that depth of, of recognition that this world is infinitely exquisite as it is. And that hearing that teaching, we can only Weep with gratitude. So that's our life. Sometimes we're just focused in on ourselves. And in the great tradition of non-duality, that's as it is. What if that's not a problem? as we say. What if it's not a problem to feel bad about your life? Because that kind of acceptance already is turning one, turning into some kind of opening. And sometimes through some mechanism of grace we find ourselves lifted out of ourselves that too is our life. And our practice includes both of those. Both of those without judgment. We know how it feels to suffer. So compassion comes naturally to us. We can see the bigger picture. And wisdom comes naturally to us. So that is what I wish for, for everybody without exception, that we are able to come to this practice and sit in the very center of our lives, where we meet every person who comes to us and we walk with them, we dance with them, we fight with them, we argue with them and we pass them on the road. 
So at Poplar Grove, there have been three funerals. The wind is blowing. The lamb is crying. And the wisteria are blooming on the eastern stoop. Thank you so much for listening.